Okay. Uh, seemed appropriate that we would look at one of the great commandments that God gave, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Now, you're probably thinking, well, get the kids in here. Get the kids in here. They need to hear this, probably. That commandment was not originally given to kids. It was to a nation of adults gathered at the base of Mount Sinai that heard God from the top of the mountain say to them, honor your father and your mother. Now, we think of it in terms of kids because of what Paul wrote in the New Testament. He wrote, children, obey your parents, and then he quoted the commandment, honor your father and mother. Right? But what Paul was really saying is, when you are a child, the way you honor your parents is by obeying them. That's what honor looks like when you're a child living in your parents' home. Honor looks like obedience. But we leave our parents' home. A man leaves father and mother, a wife transfers her yieldedness away from her father and to her husband, and we are no longer obeying and that's when we discover that the word honor is really one of those broad umbrella terms that means give weight to, respect. But how it shows depends on how old we are. And when we are children, to honor is to obey. But God originally, and most of all, gave that commandment to adults whose parents were moving into the sunset years of life. And God was saying to those adults, as they looked at their parents entering the last years of life, honor your father and your mother. And so the question becomes, what does honor look like? How does honor show itself when we are adults seeing our parents in their latter years of life? This morning, what we're going to see is this. To honor our parents in the latter years of life is to be ready to assist them financially. To honor our parents is to be prepared to economically add or supplement to whatever they might need in order that they can have a comfortable latter existence. When they're in the retired years, when they're on a fixed income, when they cannot add to what they have, we honor them by making sure that they are not lacking and we're ready to step in if needed financially. I want us to see that that's what God meant, most of all, when he gave the command. Now, this morning, I'd like to do two things. First thing I'd like to do I'd like us to look at a couple of scriptures which will say exactly that. We'll look at a couple of scriptures. We'll see the word honor. We'll see it talking about elderly parents. And we will see that it's a financial concept, a financial context in the two scriptures. So the first thing is we'll look at a couple of scriptures. The second thing I'd like to do is, if we have a heart to do that, if we say, okay, yeah, 
I would like to suggest three very practical steps that we could take to make it happen. Three concrete things that we could do to put it into practice. First, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Uh, the first scripture that we want to look at is going to be in Matthew 15. So if you have a Bible, I'll give you time to find Matthew 15. It's the first gospel. Matthew 15. Let me tell you what we're going to find happening in Matthew 15. Some enemies of Jesus are coming to him, and they are asking him a hostile question. Their question is, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Now, their question is not the same question you mothers ask your kids when they come in for supper. Okay? Are you ready to eat? Yeah. Are your hands clean? Yeah. No, 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 no. Go wash your hands. Okay, that's not their question. Their question is not, why don't the disciples get the dirt off their hands before they eat? Their question is, why don't your disciples get the impurities off their hands? The contamination of moving through a polluting world. They had a tradition. And the tradition was, before you ate, there was an elaborate ritual that you went through, and it was spelled out in manuals, which hand washed hand, and it dripped off the elbows. Why don't your disciples follow our tradition? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? Jesus picks up on their word tradition, and he says... You care more about your traditions than you do about God's commands. In fact, he says, you have one tradition. If a person follows your tradition, he ends up breaking God's command. If he does what your tradition requires him to do, he ends up disobeying what God has asked him to do. And the tradition he has in mind is the tradition of Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N, Corban. Now, the word Corban will not appear in our Matthew passage, but if we were to read the same conversation in Mark, we would see the word Corban. Corban in their language means gift, gift, a gift given to God, given to God, a gift given to God. Now, the tradition of Corban started out good, most traditions start out good. It went something like this. There would be a godly son, and he would have two fields. And the godly son would conclude, you know, this field, it's, my family can live off this. Wife and kids, we, this, is, this is enough for us. I will corbin this field to God. I will make a gift of this field to God. And he would go down to the temple and he would pledge to the priest that this field was now going to be God's field. Now, he understood he would continue to plant and harvest it and to market it, but all of the proceeds, all of the income, all of the asset that came from this field, it went to God. 
It was God's field. Good tradition. Right? But then later, maybe he had his father come to him, and the father had been wiped out economically. Uh, locusts had come in and stripped his fields. Uh, animals had gotten into the vineyard, broken all the vines. Uh, whatever had happened, uh, the father was broke, wiped out. And in a day when there are no small business loans and uh, no other ways of getting money, what, what you did was you went to a relative and you asked if they could somehow get you started again financially. And so the father is coming to the son to see if the son can help him. And when the father comes, the son says, Dad, yeah, sure, of course, godly son. Uh, you know, this one's taken up with my family, but I got this field. Let me go down and talk to the priest, and whatever I have that can be a help to you, it's yours. And so he goes down, and he talks to the priest about wanting to take this field back because his father needs it. And the priest says, no, 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 nothing doing. You pledged it to God. It's God's. It's not yours. And he goes back to his dad, and he says, whatever I had that would have been a help to you, they tell me it's given to God, and I can't do it. Well, it doesn't take long before an ungodly son discovers this Corbin thing can be a good loophole. And it goes something like this. This ungodly son... He has a field which is adequate for his family. But his ungodly son also has a cow. And this cow gives milk like no cow you ever saw. Okay? This is his IRA. He is banking it on this cow. Okay? And one day he hears that his dad's cow died. And he's pretty sure dad's going to show up and want Bessie. He hightails it down to the priest. Hey, priest, priest, priest. This Corbin thing, this Corbin thing. Does it have to be forever? I mean, can you kind of pledge it for a while and have an ending point and then it reverts back to you? The priest says, whatever stipulations you put on it, that's what we abide by. Oh, okay, okay, look at I got this cow. Oh, yeah, whole village knows about your cow. Okay, uh, I want to Corbin my cow to God for nine months, nine months. Okay? And the priest says, now you understand. You milk it, you sell the milk, but all the proceeds belong to God. Yeah, but for nine months, right? And the nine months come back. Yeah, okay, yeah, put it down. Two days later, Dad shows up. Hi, Dad, how's it going? Uh, I don't know if you heard, but our, our cow died. And, you know, your mom and your kid's sister, I well, was kind of wondering if we could use Bessie there to get ourselves back on our feet. Oh, Dad, I wish you'd come about a week ago. Oh, I, I just corbined Bessie to, you, you know what they, sorry, Dad, can't do anything. Oh, okay, well, we'll try to figure something on and Jesus says, with your tradition of Corban, you have enabled this ungodly son to break the command of God 
which said, honor your father and mother. And whatever I have that might have been a help to you, it's going to be yours. Instead, you have allowed this ungodly son to break another command, which says, whoever curses father or mother is to be put to death. This man has cursed his parents in his heart. He has essentially said to them, don't come to me for money. Don't bug me. You're living too long. And out of this event and conversation, we are to understand that when God said, honor father and mother, it meant that was to come ahead of gifts to the temple. To honor our parents has a higher priority than giving to the Lord's work. In God's mind, to take care of our parents and see the needs met in their latter years of life is more important than following through on offerings to the Lord's work. Let's read it in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Some Pharisees, teachers of the law, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and here's their hostile question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus picks up on the word tradition. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? God's command was honor your father and mother. God's command was anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say in your tradition, if a man can say to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, you say he is not to honor father and mother with that money. Thus, you nullify the work of God, the word of God, for the sake of your tradition. And so we see out of this first scripture that to honor our parents is more important, more necessary than even continuing with our giving to the Lord's work. There's a second scripture we want to look at. And the second scripture will say that honoring our parents not only comes ahead of commitments to the church, honoring our parents financially shows our own godliness more than anything else. Committing ourselves to making sure that our parents are adequately taken care of in their latter years shows our own genuine walk with God and our deep commitment to follow Christ. To honor our parents is to reveal our own true spirituality. We see this second principle in a letter Paul wrote to a young pastor, Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, Timothy is after Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Timothy is a reasonably young man. He's middle-aged, probably, pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter to him to help him in his pastoring. And 
and has a lot of good things in there about how Timothy can be a good pastor. And one of the things that he says to Timothy, and this is what we want to focus on, he says, Timothy, there are certain elderly widows in your church, and they are widows indeed. They are widows in the fullest sense. They are widows who really have need. And the reason they have need is because they have nobody related to them by blood who will watch out for them. It's not only that their husband has died and they are widows. They have no children. They have no grandchildren. They have no brothers. They have no uncles. They have nobody related to them by blood to step in and make sure that they are taken care of financially. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, church steps in. Out of the collective offerings of the church, make sure that these elderly widows who have a need, that they are taken care of in their latter years. There is no Social Security in that day. Elderly widows don't get jobs. Their economics are fragile, desperate. The church is going to see that they're taken care of. But then Paul goes on to say, but you've got some other elderly widows, and they have children. They've got grandchildren. Church doesn't support them. Children and grandchildren support them. Children and grandchildren make some financial return for all the parenting they received over the decades. And for children and grandchildren to make some financial return, Paul says, this is pleasing to God. This shows their genuine spirituality, their commitment to godliness. Let's read it in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows. And the phrase give proper recognition in the language of Greek that Paul is writing, it's one word, honor. Honor. Honor was just kind of a nice, polite way of give money to, give proper recognition. And by recognition, he means financial. Okay, you become very clear. Honor, give proper recognition, support those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Drop down to verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, if he doesn't do it, he's denied the faith. He's repudiated his Christianity. He's worse than an unbeliever. Uh, when it says that if you do not provide for your immediate family, uh, maybe somebody has said something like that to you once. Uh, it, it might be a man who wanted to sell me insurance. Uh, now, he's doing a good thing, and, and I buy the insurance, okay? Life insurance. But he might, since he knows I'm a believer, and maybe he's a believer, he might say, you know, Don, the Bible says you ought to provide for your immediate family. Now, he means well, but that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is not talking about the generation that is following me. 
It's talking about the generation that has gone ahead of me. My immediate family, my parents, my grandparents. If anyone does not provide for them, he's worse than an unbeliever. But those who do, this is pleasing to God. And it shows their genuine Christianity. And so out of these two scriptures, we see very clearly that when God said, honor, honor your father, honor your mother, more than anything else, he meant be ready to assist them financially in the sunset years of life. This is more important, God says, than whatever giving you're giving to the Lord's work. And it will show your own genuine godliness more than anything else. Now, if you and I have a heart to do that, if we say, yeah, okay, I kind of expected that would be the case, may not have realized the Bible was quite that specific about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on with that. If we have a heart to do it, how can we put it into practice? What concrete steps, what tangible actions might we take that would make it happen? Let me suggest three things. First, make a commitment. Husband and wife, make a commitment. This is what we will do. I mean, have a conversation. This will have first claim on our finances if the need arises. It will come ahead of anything else, okay? Um, if your parents need it, we'll do it for your parents. If my parents need it, We'll do it for mine. We agree, husband and wife. Maybe bring in siblings. But this is our first priority, to make sure that our elderly parents lack for nothing in their latter years. Have a commitment. Comes ahead of buying a cabin in the mountains. Comes ahead of a new car next year. Um, comes ahead of a college education for the kids. Okay. You have, there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou must provide a college education for thy children. I mean, they'll look for it, but it's not there. It's not there. And you've got verses which say, honor your father and your mother financially. And no family that has ever done that has had the kids suffer. They'll get their college education. They'll get scholarships. They'll get uh, grants. They'll, they can go to local community colleges. Maybe they don't even need a college education. Did you hear about the, the plumber that got called over to the doctor's house to fix a leak? Fixed the leak, half an hour, gave the doctor a bill, $150. Medical doctor, half a hundred fifty. That's $300 an hour. I'm a medical doctor. I only charge $200 an hour. I know, I used to be a doctor. That was all I could charge back then. <laughs> Make a commitment. This we will do. Not sure what form it will take. We'll see what the need is when the time comes. Maybe it means just sending a few hundred dollars a month to where the parents are so that they can stay in their own home with their neighbors and their local doctors and their church friends and all the shoppings that they're comfortable. They just, we're just going to make sure they can stay where they are and enjoy the good surroundings that they have lived with for a long time. If we're a little concerned about whether they'd use the money wisely, yeah, 
we'll set up, uh, we'll set up an account at the pharmacy that uh, send us the bill for all of their prescriptions. Uh, maybe we can set up a charge account at the grocery store. Maybe we can have the utility bills mailed to us. If we're worried about how they might spend the money, we can still make sure that several hundred dollars are somehow supplementing them and easing their financial condition. Okay. Maybe the time will come and we think, eh, it'd probably be better if they moved near us. Uh, we can buy a duplex and put them in one side, rent out the other one, and they can live there rent-free. We'll send the grandkids over to mow the lawn. And, uh, maybe it'll do that. It, maybe it'll take the form eventually of asking one of them, if they're alone, to move in with us so that we can be more attentive. My wife and I got talking about that one day several years ago when our four parents were still alive. Um, we started talking about what it would be like to have any one of the four parents move in with us. And we rank them. <laughs> and we agreed on the ranking. We agreed. We both, we both said, if this one moved in, that would be great. I mean, it would just add to the joy of the house. The kids would love it. Everything would be super. <laughs> kind of hope that happens. <laughs> this one, eh, we'll be all right. Yeah, it'll be okay. We can, we'll get them. We'll make it happen. We may need to have some conversations in advance, just so we all understand how things will have to work out together. <laughs> but the commitment was there. The commitment was there. So the first thing, have a conversation. This we will do. First call when the need arises. Secondly, tell your parents that you've made that commitment. Let them know that they can count on that if the need ever comes. Okay? If there are any hurts in your relationship with your parents, if there are any sorrows, any tensions that have come down over the years, there is nothing that will heal the relationship more than you saying to them, Mom and Dad, you will never have to worry about finances. We have made a commitment that if you ever have a need, we're going to make sure it's taken care of. You're going to be okay no matter how long. Now, most of us will probably never have to follow through on that. Most of us, our parents, through their hard work and their pensions and their investments and their equities and their Social Security, most of our parents will be adequately taken care of. They'll be all right for themselves. But sometimes what looks good at age 65, after two major operations and 15 years of inflation, it might not be as good. And we're saying to them, you can always count on us to step in and take care of it. And there is nothing you can say to them which will mean more to them 
and heal any sorrows between you. I mean, what does your dad care about at that time? Is he still trying to climb the corporate ladder? No, he's left that a long time ago, okay? Your dad's last concern is, is the amount of money that I have enough for the years that are ahead? And he doesn't know the answer. He can't know the answer to that question. He cannot add to it, and he doesn't know if it'll be sufficient. And his final concern, when I die, and he expects to die before his wife, most men do, when I die, who will take care of this good woman who has lived her life with me? And when you say, Dad, she will be taken care of as good as you would have been if you were there and everything she needs that you would have given and done for her, I will do for her. You don't need to be concerned. You tell your dad that, and he will think to himself, good kid. Tell your parents. Let them know. Third, not only make a commitment in your own family, not only let your parents know that they can plan on that commitment. Third, begin now to create a buffer of money that can be available to do that. Begin now to stabilize your lifestyle, your family's living expenses at a certain level above which you are creating a reservoir of monthly money which could be available. Giving to the Lord. Generous giving to the Lord. In the meantime, when there is no need, receiving all of the blessings from God that come to those who give generously to the, his work, but knowing that if the need ever comes, the money is available and God's word is clear ahead of continuing in that giving. Move it to the... Say to God, I'll be back, I'll be back. But right now, they have the prior need. Other people in the church can fill in but right now, they have only me to depend on, and it's clear this money goes to them. I remember telling my dad, uh, he had retired. Uh, he and my uncle, his brother-in-law, they were in business together with a garage and service station, a very good blue-collar, average middle-income uh, life for the family. And when they got to retirement age, they sold the business. And all of a sudden, my dad had more money than he ever knew what in his life. He bought a Cadillac, put a vanity plate on it, Sanuk one, as if he had more than one Cadillac, you know. Uh, but anyway, he, he, you know, I just said, Dad, God has been good to you. My, my dad is a good Christian man. Uh, God has been good to you. It looks like everything's going to be okay for the rest of your life. And he said, yeah. I'm just very grateful to God. And I said, Dad, I'm glad. I'm really glad. Uh, but I want you to know that you'll, if there ever comes a time when you do need the money, don't worry. We're, 
we'll see that you get it. And I had, I had a, a brother, two brothers and a sister. I said, you know, I'll talk to the other siblings and I'll ask them if they're good for 200 each and we'll, we'll see that you get 800 or whatever you need. And, and if they can't help, Dad, I'll do the whole thing myself. You won't have to worry about it. When I said that to my dad, he, he came back real quick. He said, you can't tell me that. You can't, you can't tell me that. You can't say they're going to do all of that. For, I, Nell has parents. And she has no way independently of doing it. Obviously, you have to do something for her parents, too. You can't just say you'll do all of that for me. They have to be taken. I said, Dad, with what I give to the Lord each month, I could buy the house next door, put all four of you there. Be a dumb idea. <laughs> but I could do it. And my dad kind of went, and I know what he's thinking. The kid's not blowing smoke. He means it. He's already got the money available. And in fact, it won't affect his family's lifestyle. My grandchildren will not resent me because I'm taking money away from what they normally live on. Begin now to bring your giving up so that your life comfortably lives at a level above which there is the resource. Make a commitment. Tell your parents. Tell your kids, too, at the same time. Let them know what you're doing. They might say, seems to me there ought to be more money around this place. Well, yeah, but that's because mom and I are giving a lot of money to our parents. Uh, you, you, you see how nice I'm being to my parents? <laughs> hey, my turn's coming. My turn's coming. You want to ask me what my retirement program is? Eh, I think I'm okay. Um, I've got some investments, IRAs. I have a home that's got a lot of equity in it. I suppose Social Security will still be solvent for the next couple times. <laughs> but that's not my real retirement program. Mm -hmm. My real retirement program? Peter, David, Sarah, Mary, and Esther. I'm moving in with one of you someday. <laughs> not sure which one. We'll, uh, we'll just kind of see how we get along as the years go on. Honor your father and your mother. Have a commitment that first call on your finances will be to assist them in the latter years of their life as needed. Let them know. And begin now to make it happen. One of the last things Jesus did before he died was to honor his mother financially. It was to make sure that she was taken care of economically as a widow. On the cross, one of the seven last words that are often focused on during Easter, one of the seven last words was when he noticed that his mother 
and the beloved disciple John were both standing near the cross. And he said, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to John, Here is your mother. And the scripture says that John took her into his own house from that time on. Jesus made provision to make sure that his mother was cared for. On the cross, he also made provision for you and me. And in a moment, Jared is going to come up and lead us in the celebration of how Christ took away our sin and brought us eternal life. Father, thank you. Thank you for the care that our parents gave us. They may have made mistakes, and we may have even been angry and resentful at times, but they kept us alive. And in some way, as we give a heart to you to let them know that we're going to honor them regardless, we pray that it will soften the relationship between us and will bring that love that we have wanted for so many years. We commit ourselves to it. We thank you for your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Don.